Each year, it is my privilege to produce for you more than 200 Cato Daily podcasts featuring Cato scholars, outside experts, journalists, lawmakers, and others with interesting things to say. And at Cato, we accept no government money. We are entirely funded by private citizens and organizations. That means both Cato and the Cato Daily Podcast are completely dependent on your support. To keep the Cato Daily Podcast strong and growing, we've launched a new podcast sponsor program for this holiday season. Any and all donations to support the podcast are most appreciated, but at the $1,000 level of support, you'll become a Cato patron sponsor, which means you'll receive all the benefits of patron sponsorship. Additionally, unless you object, I'll personally thank you on the podcast. Cato is a 501c3 charitable organization, which means that your gift is tax-deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. To learn more, visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor. That's cato.org slash podcast sponsor. And as always, thank you for listening. This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, December 27th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. It's a matter of dispute exactly when the bitter ideological and often partisan fights over judicial nominations started, but according to Cato's Ilya Shapiro, they're not going anywhere, and they may get more contentious. We spoke last week. Was there ever a golden age of judicial confirmation? Well, it it depends what you mean by that. we didn't even have hearings for judicial uh, nominees uh, until uh, John F. Kennedy, really, um, before you occasionally had uh, hearings when, for example, um, Louis Brandeis was nominated as the first uh, Jewish uh, Supreme Court justice. That was a big deal, as well as certain scandals that were going around uh, during that time. So they had a hearing, but he didn't even testify. Uh, the first time that, that a nominee testified at, at his own hearing was uh, sometime later. Uh, and that was for the Supreme Court. For lower court judges, you, they just kind of uh, sailed through and were marked up like some other piece of legislation. And uh, really, uh, there was no controversy. And that's in part because they were seen more as uh, uh, prizes to give uh, uh, cronies or leaders of the bar in the respective states, uh, and senators controlled the process, and there was really nothing to it. It's only when the ideological wars or the uh, jurisprudential wars uh, heated up uh, after the Warren Court in the 60s and 70s, and the response from conservatives uh, with the uh, origins of modern originalism, if you will, in the the 80s with, uh, with Ed Meese. Uh, and then uh, Reagan's attorney general, and then and then you get into the the smearing of Robert Bork uh, when he was nominated to the Supreme Court, the uh, Clarence Thomas hearings, the so-called high tech lynching, uh, the, the the partisan fallout from Bush v. Gore, um, the the ratcheting up of tensions with uh, Harry Reid using for the first time a partisan filibuster against uh, George W. Bush's nominees. Ten years later, he got rid of the, the filibuster for nominees uh, so the Democrats could uh, could get more people uh, on the courts under Obama. And then, of course, uh, the blockade of, uh, of Merrick Garland's nomination last year, followed by getting rid of the filibuster to be able to, uh, uh, to confirm Neil Gorsuch. So it's just a, a, a ratcheting up of tensions with uh, no end in sight. All right. So uh, if the if a, a key moment here was uh, going to a simple majority for confirmation of judges, what what do you suspect that 
sort of it's not an it's not the original sin here, but it is something. It is sort of a critical moment in ratcheting up this fight. Is there nothing but ideology for confirming judges now? It looks like there's nothing but ideology or partisanship, uh, which aren't always the same, but 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 often are. Uh, to, to everything in our political life. I don't think judicial confirmations are any different uh, in that respect to uh, battles over repealing Obamacare or passing Obamacare for that matter or tax reform or anything else. Uh, you have uh, – we've gotten to a moment in, in time where the parties are ideologically sorted, uh, at least in Congress, setting aside what uh, populism of the Trump or other variety might be doing, uh, you know, going forward. But you have the Liberal Party and you have the Conservative Party, and and there's no overlap, uh, and uh, they are more polarized uh, due to lots of things, gerrymandering being one of them. Uh, and uh, on top of that, you you map these different approaches to jurisprudence, so whether it be originalism versus living constitution, or textualism versus uh, purposivism in in evaluating statutes, uh, and it's a zero some game. Uh, and so uh, the incentive, there's no incentive for uh, the, uh, the uh, party opposite the, the president making the nomination uh, to compromise uh, in, in any way. And so you just have these majoritarian steamrolls with the exception of certain parliamentary obstacles. Now, the filibuster was one. That's gone now. The next thing is the blue slip, uh, which uh, is, used to be very arcane, but you hear about it a lot. That's the prerogative of home state senators to uh, delay or stall a, a nominee from going forward. Well, uh, Chuck Grassley, the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, has uh, laid down the law and, and, and said that uh, blue slips will not allow uh, undue delay. If there's no good reason, you've, you've looked at the nominee and they're the only thing you just you know don't like that person, then vote against them. The, the blue slip will not be uh, honored in that uh, in that case. And so the, the only possible es escalation beyond that is uh, uh, if and when uh, the Senate will be controlled by a different party from the White House, whether it's after next year's election or, or, or some other time in the future, uh, will uh, that Senate simply the opposition party having the majority not confirm any judges or, or virtually uh, any. Um, you know, that's, there, there's no point beyond that, uh, I, I don't think, to go. And um, that's, uh, that's where we're headed. And there's really no way to, to, to stop it other than uh, some sort of uh, magical unwinding of the federal government uh, or a, uh, a, a coming to a consensus uh, or a better consensus about uh, the proper role of, of the judge. And, and I'm sorry to be the, the harbinger of uh, depressing news, but uh, I, don't see, uh, I don't see a way out. All, all that sounds very bad, but if you have uh, judgeships overwhelmingly taken by people of one ideological stripe or another, the fact that uh, the, the battle would be joined for different interpretations of the Constitution when it comes time to render decisions at these lower court levels. That doesn't seem bad to me. The fact that the fights would be bitter is, uh, I guess, an acceptable casualty in a way. Is that 
Do you have that view? Uh, I do. And in fact, uh, on the eve of the presidential election, when it looked like Hillary Clinton was going to win, I wrote a piece saying that uh, Republican senators should vote for essentially uh, vote against uh, essentially uh, all of Clinton's nominees, not because as a matter of hashtag resistance, as we have it now against Trump, um, that everything he does is, is illegitimate uh, or that everything Clinton would do would be illegitimate, but simply that the judges would be bad uh, ideologically, jurisprudentially. Uh, in terms of constitutional and statutory interpretation, uh, and and so you know, I, I don't begrudge uh, senators deciding that uh, a particular uh, person would be uh, not not good for the the health of the republic in terms of interpreting its laws. Um, it's probably more justified the higher you go. District judges don't necessarily uh, uh, determine those uh, uh, um, highfalutin uh, jurisprudential things, or at least they're reviewed on appeal, of course. Um, and uh, we, we've come to a point where, indeed, that, that battle is so catam- cataclysmic that it is worth having and it's worth not uh, confirming uh, too many people who are, uh, from whatever your view is, uh, would do damage uh, to, to constitutional interpretation. That's not necess- you know, it's, it's not necessarily a good thing uh, for the country to have uh, the, its leaders so, so polarized and having these, these bitter battles. Uh, but on the other hand, it's it's not good for the country to have bad judges. However, you determine that the the one thing that I I do hope comes uh, out of uh, this continuing war uh, is perhaps some voter education. Um, disappointingly, that hasn't happened too much with uh, how the Democrats have been opposing Trump's nominees. For example, when when Don Willett uh, had his confirmation hearing, now Fifth Circuit uh, Judge uh, Don Willett, um, the focus was on some tweets that he had making jokes about uh, bacon and certain other things uh, rather than, uh, say, attacking him because of his jurisprudence being too in favor of economic liberty or or something like that. I would hope at least that senators would use that opportunity, even if they're going to vote no, to explain why they're doing that rather than uh, rather than engaging in demagogy. But, uh, um, you know, I, I don't have uh, – given what we've seen, I don't have too high hopes for that. Is one benefit of all this that, that judges may be more fundamentally honest about their views? I know a lot of judges in, in pursuit of higher uh, – of more important judgeships – might shy away from uh, making clear their interpretations of their true interpretations of certain elements of the Constitution. Well, it used to be that when uh, the White House and the Justice Department lawyers who are in charge of selection and vetting, when they were looking for nominees, they did indeed want uh, no paper trails, a complete blank slate. Uh, but then after being burned uh, too many times, either by people moving left while in office uh, or uh, simply not uh, being as uh, conservative or what have you, or originalist as as they would have wanted. Uh, now uh, it's a fine line. You have to have some sort of paper trail to uh, signal that that you would be uh, reliable or, or favorable, however the uh, ideological uh, lean of those making the selections are. But not so much that you then have a uh, problematic confirmation. Although, as you implied, without the filibuster, um, there's a lot more leeway. Now, it doesn't mean that confirmation hearings themselves will get more interesting because the advice is still 
uh, to talk a lot and say very little. Uh, the, the nominees are trained to kind of talk around questions and, and things like that. Uh, but the types of nominees that we'll be getting, that we have been getting, uh, are certainly more um, – have more of that paper trail, uh, seem more uh, reliably of of the direction that 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 they're supposed to be from the perspective uh, of the the Trump administration officials, for example, uh, than even uh, than even under George L. B. Bush, let alone in in earlier uh, ages. So there will be some more honesty of that sort, uh, but you really have to uh, uh, dig beyond the uh, the headlines and the public confirmation hearings to really find out about it. So what is the fix? It's, it seems to me that, that this kind of thing shouldn't be uh, – it seems not particularly sustainable, and one concern might be whether or not you have enough judges to actually rule on cases. Yeah. Um, well, uh, this hasn't really gone down to the, to the district court's uh, nominees yet. Um, uh, a, a couple of uh, uh, Trump nominees have been withdrawn, but uh, – uh, that's because of opposition from Republicans uh, themselves, uh, uh, concerns about uh, lack of forthrightness in terms of uh, various affiliations and speeches and, and, and things like that. Um, so in terms of processing cases, uh, hopefully the district uh, uh, courts won't, won't be too affected, although, uh, again, everything eventually uh, uh, ratchets up. Uh, you know, it's... Um, there is no easy solution. You know, for the Supreme Court, you could say, well, if we expand the court, then maybe each seat will be uh, – the, the battle for it will be less vicious. I, I, I don't know. Uh, but for the judiciary as a whole, um, really the, the, the only thing that will uh, reverse or stop the process that we've seen and it won't happen overnight is, uh, as I said, uh, reducing the skies of government and having a more – uh, uniform appreciation for original public meaning of constitutional provisions and uh, textualist approach to, to statutory interpretation. It, it took us decades to get to where we are now, uh, and that's uh, not going to be uh, unwrapped uh, overnight. As I said, uh, judicial nominations are just one part of the larger struggles that we've seen over public policy uh, in this country. Ilya Shapiro is editor of the Cato Institute's annual Supreme Court Review. And now a special thank you to some particularly generous financial supporters of the Cato Daily Podcast, Ryan and Amy Ramagosa. Thank you for your generous support of the Cato Podcast and for being patron-level sponsors. Without supporters like you, we couldn't do our work at all, seriously. And if you would like to become a Cato Podcast sponsor like my dear friends and trusted allies, Ryan and Amy, visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor.